Hey, uh, my name is Scott. I'm the lead pastor here at Journey Church. Uh, anyone that's visiting, welcome. We're glad that you are here. For maybe the rest of you, welcome back. We were, as Mitchell mentioned, at the Water Oasis last Sunday. And for those of you that came in just concerned at all, Pastor Olivia got at least a donut last Sunday. So she is, I, mean, I, think, I think she might have gone home with a box of them. I think she has shared them with her family or whatever, but that, that base was covered by many of you gracious people who made sure that she had a donut. So thank you for that. But it, honestly, it was a fantastic opportunity for us to come together, even as Mitchell mentioned, despite the weather, to, to celebrate our resurrected King, to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And, and my guess is that for many of you, you had some things that, that you did on Easter Sunday, some traditions that included maybe going to church or watching church online or however that might have looked. But, but maybe you had uh, some friends or family over for a meal. Maybe you cooked a ham or, or a tri-tip or whatever it is that you would, in, would enjoy. Maybe you uh, handed out some, some Easter baskets, maybe even had an, an Easter egg hunt. Like, we still do an Easter egg hunt for our children. They're, they're teenagers, and we still hide eggs. I have to be honest, though, that I was a lot less motivated to hide eggs this year because it was just wet and cold outside. So I was much more like uh, Olivia Cutterford, like, where I was just, like, pouring eggs out, just, like, dumping them. And it was not very challenging for the kids to find them, but it was a lot easier on me. It was a lot quicker. But what I realized in that was that I feel like we, both like my family, but then I think we collectively, we do, we do a pretty good job of, of celebrating Easter Sunday. We do a, a pretty good job of celebrating Easter Sunday, but as we get started this morning, I want to ask you a, a question. It's a question I was asking myself earlier this week, and it is, how did Easter Sunday change your Monday? How did Easter Sunday change your Tuesday, or how did Easter Sunday change any day last week. And, and really what I mean by that is, is how did the, the way that we celebrated the resurrection on Sunday, how is that changing your everyday? And, and I ask that question because the six or so weeks leading up to Easter, we, we were very intentional to, to focus on this practice of the season of Lent, which we've talked about is it's this ancient and, and gracious invitation to walk with Jesus toward Easter in some tangible ways. And, and we would do that by like, focusing on self-reflection, on, on repentance, on, on prayer, and on fasting, and on, on giving to the poor. These are some of the, the ways that we would be preparing our hearts to, to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, to celebrate Easter. And, and, and all of that time, we kind of went through those 40 days and went through Holy Week and, and ended up on Easter Sunday ready and prepared to celebrate ready and prepared to celebrate this day of, of resurrection that we recognize. And, and as followers of Jesus, we, we recognize that this moment in, in history, and honestly, this moment in, in pardon the, the phrasing, of, of his story was the most significant moment in, in the history, right? And, and it's honestly the most significant moment in our story as well. I love how um, Trevor Hudson describes this, this moment in uh, a small book that he wrote called Pauses for Pentecost. He says, the resurrection event proclaims that Christ lives beyond crucifixion, validates as true his teachings about how to live in the kingdom of God, and reveals that his cross was indeed not a defeat, but a victory of God's self-giving love over all the destructive powers of sin and death. Turning our old Turning from our old ways of life and becoming linked in faith with the risen Jesus today is to experience a greater fullness of life wherever we are. 
This is the astonishing, amazing, good news of our faith. But to be honest, when I rolled out of bed on Monday morning, I, I think Easter was like the last thing on my mind. I mean, to be honest, I just got up and started a, a new week, a new day, just went right back into the, the normal routines of life. And, and those weren't bad routines. Like I, you know, I get up and I do my devotions. I have my cup of coffee. I, I go to work. And, and I, fortunately, I mean, I, I work in a church, so I get to do a lot of spiritual things during my, even my work day. And, but at the same time, I, I spent little time like thinking about Easter. I, I was ready to move on to whatever is to whatever is next. And I don't know if maybe you can, can relate to that or not, but it just it felt interesting or it felt maybe even some ways disappointing that I would spend or that we would spend 40 days working our way through the season of Lent, 40 days of, of walking with Jesus toward Easter, 40 days of, of preparing our hearts to celebrate what, what just lasted only one day. And really, in, in some ways, it lasted about an hour and a half. And it was an amazing hour and a half, our, our time together and then our time with family. But it but did that Easter Sunday, did it change my Monday? Is it changing my every day? I like how N.T. Wright kind of talks about this. He says in his book, Surprised by Hope, he says, Is it any wonder people find it hard to believe in the resurrection of Jesus if we don't throw our hats in the air? Is it any wonder we find it hard to live the resurrection if we don't do it exuberantly in our liturgies? Is it any wonder the world doesn't take much notice if Easter is celebrated as simply the one day happy ending tacked on to 40 days of fasting and gloom? It's long overdue that we took a hard look at how we keep Easter in church, at home, in our personal lives, right through the system. And if it means rethinking some cherished habits, well, maybe it's time to, to wake up, he says. And see, here's... The thing about Easter is that if we look at Easter in its historical context, in the early church and in the way the ancient church operated, Easter was not simply a one-off celebration day. It was this season that they would enter into. Like if you look at the historic church calendar, the 50 days from Easter until Pentecost are, it's a season that's called the Easter tide or, or the Easter season. And, and just like Lent, it's, it's a season that's meant to, to form us in, and shape us into Christ-likeness. Now, when we talked about Lent, we, we talked about it being this, this forming through uh, humility, this forming through kind of self-giving and, and self-denial through the, the fasting and, and the repentance, and we're being formed in, in Christ's likeness, very similar to the Christ hymn that we've talked about out of uh, Philippians chapter 2 of, of being willing to humble ourselves and, and put other people first. Like, that's how Lent forms us into Christ's likeness. But, but the Easter season, it actually is forming us into Easter people. And by Easter people, I mean this, it's Easter people are people who live in the midst of their daily lives and relationship, a life permeated by the present companionship of the risen and the ascended Jesus. See, this, this is where we experience the redemption of Jesus Christ. And this is when we actually begin to carry that redemption of Jesus into the world around us. This is how we experience the, how we talked about last week, how, how Jesus is, is taking the broken things and the, the tragic things and the hurtful and painful things, and he is changing them into something beautiful, just like that cross that we had up on the screen 
just moments ago, taking something that is tragic and painful and, and turning it into something beautiful. Jesus is doing that in our lives. That's what we're celebrating. That's what we're leaning into in this Easter season is that idea of, of redemption, not only in our own lives, but in the ways that we can carry that redemption and, and help Jesus take the broken and the hurt and the painful and transform it into something beautiful in the lives and the world that's, that we find all around us. Which now actually brings us to the sermon. I mean, that's, that's just all the warm-up. Sorry, I apologize for that. But, but which brings us to like the passage of Scripture we're going to look at this morning, which is found in, in Philippians chapter 3. And so if you have a Bible, feel free to, to open it to there. And, and if you're willing and able, I want to invite you to stand with me as I read from Philippians chapter 3 this morning. And, and I, as I've been praying and considering this passage, I feel like what I just talked about as far as like the Easter season and, and the way that the Resurrection Sunday is meant to change our everyday is a lot of what Paul is going to be talking about in this passage this morning. So it's Philippians chapter 3, um, starting in verse 12. Paul says, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which Christ has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of, thi such a view of things and if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. There Dest their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach, and their glory is their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. So in a previous life or a previous career, I was a, a teacher in the Sherwood School District. And I had a friend of mine that I, that I taught with that, that his family really, I don't know if they just loved Easter or they just loved Easter egg hunts. But they would actually put on an Easter egg hunt that was only for the adults in the family. Now this family, they had a lot of property. They had a couple acres and it was wooded. And, and they, this was like a legit Easter egg hunt. They weren't filling these eggs with like jelly beans and peeps. They were filling it with cash. Like ones, fives, tens, twenties. And, and then they'd have like these grand prize eggs where they were putting like hundred dollar bills in this. And, and like these adults, I just remember him telling me about this and wanting to be invited into it, but, but telling me about it. And, and he just, it was like serious. Like there was like elbows were being thrown and they were like aggressive. And, and it, was, it wasn't like me. They weren't just like spreading eggs out. They were like putting them high up in trees and, and under logs or whatever. Like they were seeking after and fighting for the prize, 
especially the, the grand prize, some of these, these golden eggs. Now, in this passage that, that we looked at today, there was, there, were a lot of, there was a lot of good that Paul talks about. We could spend actually a, a month of Sundays, like digging up the treasure that we could find in, in this passage. But, but what we see that's clear in, in what we read this morning is that there is one, what Paul would call the, like the prize, one that he would strain after, one that he would fight for and go forward towards, one he says that, that I have not yet attained it. I, have, I don't yet have this. I am still working after it and still going for it. But it is the prize that is, that is before him and that he is striving and straining for. Now, this prize is not one that we would typically consider maybe a prize. It's not like the, the stuffed animal that we win, you know, with the claw that reaches down into all the stuffed animals. It's not the, the trip to Mexico that we won out of a raffle, or it's not even like, I don't know if you buy lottery tickets, but if you did, like, if, like the $100 or thousands or millions of dollars you might win through a, a lottery ticket. This is a, a prize that is, is very different from that. And you might be wondering, like, so what is the, like, what's the prize? Like, I need to know what the prize is if I'm going to go after it, if I'm going to attain it. Well, to actually to see the prize, we actually have to go back two more verses from where we started this morning, back to, to Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, which is kind of at the end of what Jamie Nolingoff was, preach, was preaching on, on uh, Palm Sunday. But if you, again, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there, but it'll be up on the screen as well. But listen to what Paul says in, in verse 10 of chapter 3. He says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. You see, Paul points out the goal and the prize. He says it's to, to know Christ. It's to know Christ in, in every way. It's to know Christ in his life, for sure. It's to know Christ in his death, which definitely. But it's also to know Christ in his resurrection as well. Like this is what Paul strives and strains forward towards with every fiber of its being. It's, it's not a, a calling that he's striving towards. It's not even heaven or eternal life that he's striving towards, which, which are all good and, and important things, but, but he's striving towards Christ. He's striving to know Christ himself. And maybe the question that, that I had when I was considering all of this is one that maybe you would have as well as, is what does he mean by that? What does he mean when he says, I want to know Christ? I want to know the power of his resurrection. Well, I don't know if you, if you read the Bible in, in different translations or different versions. Like I typically will read out of the NIV. That's what we, I put up on the screen most Sundays. But, but there's a, a version that's called the, the Amplified Version. And I love it because they'll take a passage of scripture and, and they'll kind of basically translate like every version does, but then they'll, they'll put in it some, some brackets that just help to explain what some of the, the phrasing or the words like mean. It, it's, it's, it'd be kind of like having the notes that are at the bottom of some of your study Bibles just right on the page. And so it's, it's a fantastic resource or tool, but, but here's how the, the amplified version talks about this. They said, or they're just translating Paul, but it says, and this so that I may know him experientially, becoming more thoroughly acquainted with him understanding the remarkable wonders of his person more completely, and in that same way experience the power of his resurrection, which overflows and is active in believers, 
and that I might share the fellowship of his sufferings, being continually conformed, which means inwardly into his likeness even, to his death, dying as he did. I mean, I could just spend all morning just like reading that over and over, understanding what it means to, to have this desire that I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of res- his resurrection. I want to share in his sufferings, even to the point of, of sharing in, in his death, because I don't think we totally grasp and understand what it is that, that Paul is, is trying to, to say there, and partly because I think this is the, this is the what, like this is like what is, is, is he what is the prize? But maybe the question is, we need to answer next is, is why? Like, why is this the, the prize that Paul is both like proclaiming himself, but also pointing these people who he's writing this letter towards? Like, he's pointing them towards this prize. He says, follow my example as I follow Jesus. Follow the example of others who are like-minded with me, who have this same undivided mindset that, that they just want to know Jesus. They just want to know the power of his resurrection. Well, the, the why is actually found in the next verse in chapter 3, verse 11, where he says, so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. Now, again, that sounds like a little confusing. Like, what does he even mean by that? Well, the the New Living Translation, I think, helps maybe make it a little more clear. They translated it this way. They said, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Now, when we hear that, I think our, our at least mine, my, my mind goes to like the resurrection that's going to happen in, in the future. The resurrection that will happen when, when Christ returns to fully establish his, his kingdom here on earth, his reign and, and his rule, and, and he will, we will be giving these new resurrected bodies. We'll see a, a new heaven and a new earth established here on, on earth, and, and all things will be made new. Every you know, tear will be wiped away. Like This is what comes to mind when, when I read a, a verse or a passage like this, but, but I think Paul is actually speaking in the present tense when he says this about resurrection. He's not speaking simply about a future resurrection when Christ would come back, but he's talking about a present resurrection. He says, I want to know Christ. This is me paraphrasing. I want to know Christ in every way so that I might live Christ today. I want to know Christ in in every way so that in this moment, in this day, and in every day going forward, I might be able to live Christ in the middle of it. Let me just, maybe a few other ways that we might be able to say this is, is that I might move from death into life so that I might live a resurrected life, so that I might live an Easter life, that, I'm, that we might become Easter people as we talked about before. And really, overall, so that my life might look more and more like the Jesus that I follow. Because the Jesus that we follow is a, is a resurrected Jesus, he is a risen king. So then that would beg the question, so if the goal or the prize is to, to know Christ, like how do we get there? What is, what is the way? Well, Trevor Hudson in, in, a, in a different book called Seeking God, he talks about how there's like three ways that that we would approach trying to know God. And the first way that he would describe it is this way of, of information. And this is uh, 
to know Jesus through the, the accumulation of more and more information and knowledge about Jesus and about our faith in Jesus. Now, we do this on, on Sunday mornings when we break down a passage like this and we try to, to understand things about Jesus and what it means to, to follow him and what it means to have our faith in him. So we do that at church. We do that when we simply pick up our Bibles and, and read. And maybe if we have study notes or the Amplified Version, we just better understand the things about who Jesus is. And, and then maybe we move into a small group that then studies the Bible, we continue to have a better understanding, and maybe we read books, or we listen to podcasts, or we go to conferences, but it's, a lot of it is, is just the information that we're trying to understand. We're trying to fill our minds with the, with the mind of Christ, but really with a knowledge about Jesus. And so he would say, this is like the way of, of information. But then he would go on and say, there's also this way of, of inspiration, which is to know Jesus through our spiritual experiences. Uh, we might call these like mountaintop experiences or these burning bush experiences. And those would be these times when Jesus reveals himself to us in maybe a, a powerful moment, a moment of, of worship, or maybe some, some really inspirational uh, preaching or, or, or teaching, or, or maybe it's just simply in some special like location or, or opportunity. You go to a, a summer camp. I, to be honest, like, I feel like the Lord met me and changed my life at a, at a spiritual experience at a youth conference where I heard powerful teaching and submitted my life to Jesus in a way that I'd never done before. And, and he used that to, for me to better understand and, and to know him. I mean, for some, it might just be simply to go out into nature and you just sense the presence of God as you walk on the beach, or as you walk through the woods and you, you see the beauty of, of his creation. And this is a way that we can know and understand Jesus is the way of inspiration. But he says that there's a third way that he would call the way of, of interaction. He says it's to know Jesus through interaction with Jesus. Now, if we look at the Gospels and, and, and we've read through the Gospels, we see that, that Jesus went to, to men and to women and he, he said to them, come and follow me. And when he was saying that to them, there was this invitation into discipleship, invitation into apprenticeship, right? Jesus is, the, is kind of the master craftsman like, that they would apprentice under. And there, he's going to teach them how to master the craft of, of essentially like being like Jesus. So he invites them to, to be with him, to listen to and, and to learn from him and to begin to uh, do the things that, that Jesus would do, especially if Jesus were were then, that they would just begin to naturally operate the way that Jesus would operate. That was the, the invitation and as they just walked with Jesus, they would acquire information about Jesus. And as they walked with Jesus, they would receive inspiration just by simply being with Jesus. But it was all in the, the context of, of, being intera of interacting with Jesus himself. I mean, it's the advantage that the, that the disciples have that we don't have in the fact that they got to actually literally walk side by side with Jesus. Watch, listen, learn, do, observe, and just see it all in real time and in real life. But it, that is the way of, of interaction that he would say is like the third way of, of maybe a few others that, that we can come to know and understand Jesus. And, and he would go on at talking about this way of interaction and would say this. He says, it was this way or it was this interaction with Jesus that transformed those earliest disciples. The New Testament makes it clear that it was not an overnight transformation. It happened gradually as they spent time with Jesus, learned from him, and interacted with him. They came to know themselves as God's dearly beloved children. They experienced a new sense of belonging to each other, 
Their personalities were gradually renovated so, they, they, so that they became better images of God. They responded to others with a new seeing, a new listening, a new heart. They lived with a strong sense of God's power over evil within and around them. They overcame their fear of those who could destroy their bodies. They entered another kind of life in which they became more and more like the one that they followed. And so I, I wonder, as, as I present those three, those three options, those three ways of, of knowing Jesus, if one of those or two of those, or maybe, I don't know, all three of them, the, if those resonated with you in, in, in your own experience of, of trying to know Jesus or what it looked like to grow in Christ and in your own faith journey. For me, I, I would say that at least in the way that, that I grew up, in the way that I was discipled, in the way that I learned about Jesus, it was the lion's share of that took place through the, the, the way of information. And I just meant I, I read my Bible a lot. I, I got into a lot of Bible studies. I, I went to church and listened to good, to good teaching. I, I took classes. I mean, on and on and on. And I just continued to, to learn more. And then kind of sprinkled in around there were like the ways of, of inspiration, uh, just where I would attend a conference or I'd go to a camp or I'd hear a powerful message. And, and I felt like the Lord would meet me right in those powerful moments. Like those two ways, the ways of, of information and the way of inspiration, those were the ways I felt like the Lord shaped and, and formed me up and until maybe just a handful of years ago, where I just sensed like the Lord was inviting me into a deeper intimacy with him through the way of, of interaction. I didn't even have that, that term or that language for it at that point. I just felt like Jesus was saying, I want you to know me more intimately. And, and that was the, the desire of, of my heart to both like know Christ and, and to have him, I mean, I know he knows me, but to, for me to actually know that, that he knows me. And that was what I felt like the Lord was inviting me into. And, and not at the exclusion of inspiration and, and information, like those are still going to be just like the bedrock of how I continue to grow in Christ. But, but is there a way to continue to grow through interaction into knowing and understanding and having a deeper relationship with Jesus than I had even had up and until that point. I felt challenged by a passage that, that I read in, in Acts 14, and I think Pastor Olivia actually mentioned this a few weeks ago, and I, I remember talking about it a couple months ago maybe, but it's, and I won't talk about the passage much, but it's, you know, a couple of disciples, Peter and John, had just healed someone, and, and the all the religious leaders were upset at them. And, and here's the, the passage, is Acts 4, 13, where it says, when they, the religious leaders, saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. That these men had been with Jesus. And that being with Jesus had changed and transform them into men who could be, who could speak and act and live with courage and boldness, who could live as, as Easter people whose lives were being shaped and transformed because just because Jesus died and, and was resurrected and then ascended didn't mean that he just left them. It meant that he was dwelling in and, and with them. And now they carried his presence with them and they could know him in ways that they never could have known him 
when they were just simply walking with him. And now as, as resurrected Easter people with the, the presence of God, like transcending them and them knowing them in ways, in him in ways that they never could before, they were operating in ways no one would ever have expected them to operate. Unschooled, ordinary men who were now like performing miracles because the presence of Jesus was in and with them. Like that, that idea challenged me to have this intimate knowledge that can only maybe be obtained through an interactive experience with Jesus. You see, that's what Paul is, is talking about when he says, I, I want to know Christ. He's talking about a, a relational knowing, an intimate knowledge that is obtained and expressed through interactive experience. Like, for, if I were to give you an example of, of what I mean by, like, this knowing, because there's, like, the knowing, like, like I know two plus two is four. Like, that's a fact. But when I, someone says, how do you know that, that Natasha, my wife, how do you know that she, that she loves you? Well, I, I only really know the, that my wife loves me because of the way that she interacts with me. Her words, her care, the way she looks at me, the way she laughs at me, I mean, with me her affection towards me, her fidelity with me, all of these things like that I know in my knower <laughs> that she loves me. And that's different than like reading it in a book, Natasha Edinger loves Scott Edinger. That's a fact. Like there's, there's a difference in, in how we, we know and experience when it's this interaction between two people. And that might sound simple or easy in some ways, but if you've ever been in a relationship, you realize that it's not, right? That it, that it takes time. It takes effort. It takes intention with, with people. But it's the same with, with Jesus. Like if we want to know Jesus in this, with this intimate knowledge through like this interactive experience, it's going to take time. And it's going to take intention. It's going to be like there's, work is probably the wrong word, but it will take some, some efforts of sorts, right? That we're actually leaning into these opportunities to know him in that way. It's going to take um, practice. And honestly, it's going to take practices. And we've been talking a lot about practices, and we will continue. We're actually going to talk about more practices in, in just a few weeks when we start talking about prayer. And honestly, man, I'm excited about this prayer practice because I think it, it is going to answer the questions that we're having right now. How can we know Jesus? Well, by simply being with Jesus. I, I'm going to stop right there because I can start talking about prayer for a couple of minutes. But what we need is, is space to connect and space and time to know one another if we're going to connect with them. But it's the same with Jesus. If we want to, to know Jesus, we need space and time to connect with him. Anybody ever heard of uh, John and, and Julie Gottman? I, I don't know them personally. I just read about them. They're uh, like marriage counselors. They're marriage therapists. And they've done a, a ton of marriage research that, that really is related. They were really trying to figure out like some, be, trying to be able to predict uh, separation in couples, divorce in, in couples, like looking for just some predictors in that with the hope that they would be able to counter that with like the opposite. If you can see some things that might predict 
you know, relational dysfunction. Well, let's start moving in the opposite direction to correct those, those things. And, and in their research, and one of the things they talk about is this idea of a, of a bid for connection. And what they, what they would describe a bid for connection is this. It's attempts by loved ones for attention, for affirmation, or for connection. For example, like maybe, maybe your, your, your friend or your spouse or, or your child says, hey, do you want to watch a, sh- a show tonight? They're not just interested in watching a show. They're interested in watching that show with you. They want time and, and attention, maybe affection with you. Or if your kid says, hey, dad, you want to you throw the, the football around? Like they may really w- want to throw a football, but they really just want time with, with their dad. These are bids for connection. These are bids for attention, maybe even bids for some, some affirmation. And, and their research is... Um, it's fascinating in some ways. It's frightening in others. But they talk about these, these bids for connections and how there's three ways to respond. You can, when someone kind of does a bid for connection, they say, hey, do you want to watch a show? You can either turn towards them, like, yeah, I'd love to watch a show tonight. Or you can turn away from them, like, no, thank you. Maybe even worse than that, right? Or you could just be indifferent and neutral, like, I don't care. We could watch a show, I guess, or whatever. Like, there's these three, these three ways that you can respond. And, and what the research showed was that for those couples that, that stay together, the, the percentage of times that they actually turn towards their spouse when, when a, they're offered a bit of connection is 80%. Like, 80% of the time that their spouse offers them a bit of connection, they turn towards their spouse. That's their response. And then for the predictor, the predictor on the other side was for the couples that, were, that had split apart in their research, they found that that, that percentage dropped to 30%. Then when a, a, the husband or the wife would offer a bit of connection, only 30% of the time would they actually turn towards them. And then over time, that just created disconnection. And, and I, I tell you that, I mean, one, it's, it's super interesting and, and even honestly helpful information as, as husbands and, and wives and how we can... Um, affirm and, and connect and be intentional in our relationships. But I, I tell you that today because we need to understand that we were created by a relational God. Like we are created in the image of a relational God who desires to have deep and personal relationship with us. That whether we realize it or not, Jesus is offering us bids of connection. Like we may or not, we not, sometimes it's, it's really overt and clear, right? Like we see a sunset and we're like, oh man, that, thank you, Lord. I, I, yes, let's connect. Or, or maybe it's just some stirring in your soul. Like, oh man, I just feel like the Lord is telling me something. Yes, let's, let's connect. Or, or, or maybe it's like a powerful scripture or verse that you came across. And like, yes, Lord, let's, let's connect. But just like it is with, with spouses or friends or kids, sometimes it's not super clear. It's not always overt. Sometimes we actually have to learn to recognize the bids for connection that are being offered to us. And it's a, it's a process of, of learning to recognize when, when Jesus might be offering us a, a bid of, of connection and then learning and maybe reminding ourselves to, to respond by turning towards him. The same way we would want to, to return towards our, our loved ones so that they know that we want to connect, that we know, they know that we have a desire to connect with them. And maybe an example of this would be just recently, I, I felt I was reading a book and, and it was talking about just turning off the noise. And I think that can feel very uh, relative right now. Like you're just, there's just too much noise. And, and it just made a suggestion that, that maybe like when you're driving around, you just turn off the radio, turn off the podcasts, turn off whatever it is that's, that's noise and just try to be present with, with Jesus in that moment. And, and I, I could have just read that and been like, cool, underlined, awesome, duly noted. But then go and hop in the car and turn on the, the sports radio, right? And just like enjoy it. But, 
But I felt like this was a, a bid for connection. Like Jesus was saying, this is a way that you, you can get to know me just a little bit more. Just turn off the radio when you're driving to pick up your kid. And let's just, let's just talk or let's just sit in silence. Let's, whatever it is, but, but this is my bid for connection. And it, it actually, it's something I had to, to learn to recognize. And I feel like I'm continuing to learn to recognize like when the Lord is, is offering me a bid for, for connection. You see, this morning, as we talk about like, knowing Jesus, I, I really want to just come in with like a list of, of like tricks and, and practices. Tricks is probably the wrong word. Practices or, or ideas, like how this works, right? Like, I just want to give you like a, a handbook so that it just makes it easy. But, but there's no such thing because each of us are going to interact and, and walk with Jesus in a different way because we are different, different people. But, but Jesus knows that. And the ways that he bids for our attention and for our connection is going to look a little bit different. And, and the reality, too, is that, that knowing Jesus is, is a lot less about techniques or, or how to do it. And it's a lot more about availability. It's a lot more about, like, the interruptibility and a willingness to turn towards him when we've sensed that he is bidding for connection with us. So for now, this morning, um, I just want to encourage you with just this one prayer. It's a prayer that I would encourage you to just begin to add into your daily prayer rhythm, whatever that might look like. Maybe you just wake up and you pray this. Maybe you pray this before you go to bed. Maybe it's a meal. I don't know. You've, you figure it out. You've, you use this in the best way possible. But this is one that I've been praying throughout the Lenten season, and, and it felt like the Lord is, is both meeting me and like pushing me forward in. But it's simple, and it's short. It's Jesus, I ask today for the grace to know you more intimately, to love you more deeply, and to follow you more closely. Would you pray with me? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Lord, we, uh, <laughs> you know, we, we try to figure these things out on our own, how to, to know you and to love you. And, um, but I think this morning, I would just pray you would help us to just be more aware of your presence. Would you awaken us, Lord, to the reality of your presence? Would you stir that reality just all around us so we just know that you are near, that, that we might know that you can be known to some extent, that we can know you, Jesus, as Paul talked about it. Lord, help us to, to take in information about you, to be inspired by you. But Lord, this morning, I would pray that you would help us to grow in, in the way of, of interaction with you. That you would teach us and show us what it looks like to talk to you, to be with you, to, to sit with you, to, to listen to you. That you give us the ability, the eyes to see and the ears to hear when you're offering a bid for connection. And Lord, we're so grateful that you're so much better than we are. That, that Lord, every, every time we offer a bid for connection, you're like, yes and amen. I, I will turn towards you. But Lord, help us to, to become more like you in that. Certainly with one another, but, but with you as well, Lord. That when we see bids for connection, we wouldn't turn a cold shoulder or, or become disinterested, but we would be ready to turn towards, excited to turn towards, to, to learn more, to know more, and to become more like you, Jesus. Lord, thank you for that gift. We pray your blessing upon it. And we ask these things in your name. Amen.